Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of the True Blue podcast, the podcast which packs more of a punch than Ashley Williams in a cross-border derby. <laughs> Callum likes that one. Um, we'll be discussing <laughs> everything to do with Chester FC from the week that was. Uh, I'm joined today by Callum McIntyre, Academy head coach. We all know his face, we all know his voice and we all know the good work that goes on with his youth team. They've got a massive game tomorrow night um, at Mansfield in the FA Youth Cup second round prize and offer uh, third round trip to Bournemouth I'm correct yeah. and I'm also joined by Andy Morris um, uh, Chester FC director and we're going to have a chat about some breaking news that's happened um, I'll come to you Andy first uh, at the CFU meeting on Thursday last week it was announced that uh, we'd appoint a new general manager Stephen Jones started in the post um, on Monday of this week um, but some Breaking news today is that Stephen is no longer with us. Um, can you fill us in a little bit on that? Please? Yeah, it's, it's regret that we can confirm Stephen has left the employment with the club. Um, so a number of issues came to light over the past 24 hours. Um, sat down with Stephen today, discussed them and how they align to ourselves as a club, our values and where we wanted to be as an employer and as a club. Um, and we agreed that parting the ways was the best things for all parties and that's happened with immediate effect. Um, one question which is going to crop up is about due diligence um, because obviously this is uh, he's 24 hours into a role and people are going to be asking why this wasn't brought up prior yeah. to his appointment yeah, so fair point um, so the due diligence with any new employee that you, you bring into a business um, occurs through a number of different stages so we did the interview I looked at his recent employment gathered references uh, in particular some of the issues that came to light were historic so they were over 10 years old. Um, there were also a number of matters that weren't included within the CV and the history and weren't disclosed at interview. So to a point, we, we weren't aware of them uh, until we've had that conversation today. Okay, I mean, I'm not going into in, uh, to, to what the issues are here, but into, um, I know the links to it have been shared far and wide. But um, for many people, it's been a quick Google search, I suppose, to be able to see the main issue relating to this um, and the question is posed why didn't the club see that? No, that's a, that's a fair question um, we did do our level of due diligence um, there were some questions asked in terms of was it the same individual um, fortunately the name is very common within the area um, there wasn't an obvious link when we looked at uh, the background in terms of the sector and the, the things that are referenced within the link uh, between that and the person who was our employee so it's only when, as and when that became transparent uh, and apparent that we addressed that immediately. Um, did the club contact any of his former employers or Prestat in town where he spent a, a large number of Yeah, we didn't time, go, so in terms of the number of employers, without going into too much into his employment history, we went to the most recent employers and gained several references of which they came back fine and without issue. Okay, I mean, you can also understand why how this looks to the fan base because they'll be thinking this is um, it, it's an area of judgment on behalf of the, the club and the board, I suppose, in terms yeah. of, and it's how it looks from the outside looking uh, in is, uh, is is not the best. Yeah, absolutely, I, I do appreciate that and I take that on board. Um, 
as I say, you know, some of these issues were historic going over 10 years. So it's, you know, how far back do you chase references? Um, the matters weren't disclosed as part of the CV or part of the recruitment process. So how far do you go looking for something that you're not aware of? Um, now, the articles that were shared and the various reports and things that are out there, um, you know, once we've reviewed those, we've taken the immediate action. So where does that leave us now? Because it's it was the original advert was July, and that we're now kind of approaching the end of the year. Is there a, a process in place in terms of getting that role filled as quickly as possible? Because we've spoken about, um, well, at CFU meeting last week, mm. we've done articles on the fact that um, the board are struggling with the workload as it is, mm. um, and not having a general manager in place is really affecting that, I suppose. And it's, that's going to be the case for another few weeks longer as well, I suppose. Yeah, moving forward, um, you know, the, the fact that we need a general manager is out there and it's not a surprise to anybody. Um, I spoke at CFU meeting last week and said, you know, as much as we're a football club and we're a passion, we're also a million pound business. Uh, and we need that full-time professional approach to running a business. You know, we've got a board of directors out there who put in so many hours, people like Calvin's here on a, a daily basis. But we need that general manager role here. So the next step is, it's going out there and finding the next candidate. And we've got to be really proactive at that. Um, so it's not just a case now of, well, wait, let's wait for CVs to come in. You know, it's looking at, well, how do we go out and approach and find people? But we can't escape is the budgetary confinements that we haven't got the salary out there to offer that may be commercially competitive with the private sector or the non-footballing sector. We've got to find somebody with the right values uh, the right commitments and the dedication, as well as the competencies that can bring a commercial mindset, as well as the general manager onto the role. And the fans are also going to expect the the club to be treading carefully now in terms of doing their due diligence, because that's absolutely um, that's it's something which has come up and, and bit the club on the backside big time, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it has. Um, you know, it's a real shame that we've ended up in this situation. It's not something we could have envisaged when we looked at the CV and getting the references. We didn't expect to be here. Um, but we are, um, so what we need to do is learn from that, um, continue to do the due diligence, um, and if not to a greater extent, a part of any recruitment process. And in terms of the board and how the makeup is at the moment, we, I know we spoke to Richard Lyons mm-hmm. um, last week and about how we go about getting more people involved and engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, where are we at with that? I mean, because is it, is it as serious as it, it kind of it seems to be made out in terms of? If we don't do something fairly soon, um, we're going to be a breaking point for some people. Yeah, I don't want to be melodramatic over it all, but I would say it's it's an absolutely massive crisis and almost as big as one we had earlier this year. It's okay, it's not financial, but the the time and the effort that goes into the board of directors is is significant. Without the board of directors, if we were to lose additional members, there's a possibility that actually we wouldn't fulfil our constitution, the club could fall. That's the worst case scenario. We can't operate without a board of directors. So we need individuals who have a level of skills and competence. Um, It's not just about people who've got degrees in business and degrees in marketing and all those great and wonderful things. It's people who've got the time and the passion that want to get involved, can commit to supporting our club to improve. Now, if people have got a a specific skill set that they can bring, absolutely brilliant, let's get them in. But if it's just people who've got the time um, that they can dedicate to this club, then please, you know, put your put your name forward. It's either in a working group or if it's joining the board of directors, they're absolutely welcome, um, and we'd really encourage it. Why do you think there has been? It's all, uh, the apathy probably mm. is born out of what happened in January, and also what it's not just what went on off the field, it's on the field as well. But is that is it? We're all kind of we're, the club's been reformed mm. 
eight years now. Um, been through a few boards and, and we're at a point where it almost seems that we're struggling to engage anyone new. I mean, and the AGM showed mm. that, didn't it? Because I mean, the, the strength in numbers wasn't there. Yeah. Um, so it effectively was just a, um, a box to can exercise and we can't really have that if we're going to have a, a strong and yeah. flourishing football club moving forward. I think, yeah, I think crisis brings out the best in people sometimes. So we looked at what happened last January. There was meetings that were going on in the Blues Bar and there was you know, 30 to 40 people there who were looking to help out the various working groups. And that seems to have tailed off over the last few months. So apathy is a very strong word, but perhaps that's what it is. Um, or sometimes people feel almost a hesitance to put their hands up and to get involved because it's that the feeling of, well, what can I bring to the table? And I think, you know, from a very personal viewpoint, you know, that was almost something that stopped me getting involved earlier. But it's having that confidence to say, actually, I can give something to this club. And even if it's in, in your own little way, I really encourage people to get involved uh, do what they can, contribute what they can. Um, contributions to this club, it's not about financial. Financial are brilliant, but contributions of time and skill set are just as important. And do you think, I mean, it's been nice this season to concentrate on um, positive matters on, on the mm. field and fans are enjoying seeing winning football, mm. competitive team uh, and all that goes with it. But um, it almost comes with it, it kind of papers over the cracks almost Absolutely. in terms of it doesn't it because mm. there's almost a, a complacency not yeah. not so much among the, the wider fan base that maybe because we've moved past January we don't hear so much about it now mm. Stuart Murphy's investment comes on mm. board and comes into the picture we kind of think that well we're okay here but I mean it's not necessarily the case is Absolutely it? you know I think Stuart Murphy's uh, investments in the donation side of things is a really interesting one because what that can't allow to do is breed apathy so people feel the need that they don't need to get involved in the commercial working group. They don't need to get involved to help generate funds. You know, you look at Stuart when he pulled together the donation, it was all about growing income streams. So what we can't do as a club then is get lazy and stop doing it. Um, if anything, we need to do it more. We need to be thinking about how we can progress and grow and, and not rest on our laurels and assume that things are just going to happen and other people are going to do it. You know, we've got a very small uh, paid employees uh, workforce within the group, uh, even smaller uh, after the last 24 hours. So that means that other people need to step up and as a volunteer, we all need to contribute. I mean, one positive thing which has kind of coursed through every vein of the club in the past couple of years and certainly absolute godsend to us last year because I would have struggled for, uh, for motivation had it not been for the youth team last year, uh, Callum McIntyre's joining us. It's been quite. Uh, we're, we are ten minutes into this podcast, <laughs> and I've only introduced Callum <laughs> just now. It's ten minute, ten minute juncture. This is uh, this is breaking new ground here. Really. Yeah, we found the one person yeah. who can talk more than me. <laughs> <laughs> one person at the football club can talk more. It's not John. I see someone put that on Twitter. <laughs> me and John have a conversation. Who gets a word in? You know, get refereed. <laughs> but it's another big night um, tomorrow. It's Mansfield. I mean. After what's been this season, I mean, Sandbach Marine, Wrexham, Hartlepool, Barnsley, they've all fallen at the uh, the sword of the giant killers. Um, this team that operates on, what is it, three bags of, bags of Arabo and a couple of Freddos. Um, but why is tomorrow night so important for, you, for this team and this club? Because obviously you've been at this stage before, but tomorrow feels like almost it's, um, it's a real real chance to go on and, and, and do something magical I think it's different isn't it the the way we go about it I think the the nature of the setup at the club 
I think you look from the outside and people think that we get a lot of attention. That's from the local press, yourselves, obviously Shane on the radio um, and sort of internally. And I think that was, it goes with the three pillars approach of the way the club's set up. Mm. And actually it is a, a community element of having local boys out there playing for the football club. It, it's it's different. And I think because of that, it almost means a little bit more. Because you look at it, some of the stuff's crazy. I think if you're another football club and look at the way we market our under-18s, there's um, there aren't a football club like it. You look at the crowds. I, I saw your tweet at the Barnsley game. We've got bigger gates than some clubs in the National League North, more than in the National League, and people can't get their head around that. I think for the players, that's unbelievable for their development to regularly be playing in front of 500 people plus in competitions. But also, it, it recognises what it means to people. And I think for everyone that's been involved in the formation of the football club, they should be immensely proud that that's what we've established. Mm. So that is the Stranders. You know, taking a supporters bus tomorrow, I expect there to be a healthier way following. You remember at Walsall, the way they made those players feel. From a football point of view, it's just born out of complete difficulty. The The group of players we're talking about that I'll name in that group tomorrow were our first scholars cohort. So they are the group that when the, the difficulties came out in January financially, put yourself in those players' shoes as to what that represents. You've committed to two years for a football club, been promised the earth, You've seen what's happened at Sam Hughes. You've you've seen a football club that say they're going to buy into a youth system that are saying they might be closing the gates by the end of the month. Recognise how difficult that is for them to digest. And I remember saying that at one of the CFU meetings is that's not fair. You then imagine them being the face of what they did last year and the Gateshead game and a thousand people here. A difficult season on the pitch and them being the only success. They've been exposed to a lot more than the average sixteen-year-old full-time non-league footballer but they relish it so to then you think it might just settle down people I remember doing a piece with you and you're asking how do you follow last year I spent May, June, July thinking about that that's really important from a selfish point of view how are you perceived when you've done everything there is to do you've put players in the first team you've moved them on you almost feel like you're accidentally set up to fail but the makeup of our group and what we try and do you always have to go one better for us, tomorrow night represents the opportunity to match the, the furthest we've ever gone in this competition, the third round. And apparently, like I said, I didn't see the draw. I was, what do all the managers do? They play virtual golf now and stuff like that. Let's say I was doing that, playing table tennis, something really more rational than Kalman Maharaba. Um, that is a massive incentive for the lads to play at a Premier League ground. For us, to be in the same draw as Man United, Chelsea, you know, Liverpool, Everton, you know, all, I've named all the big clubs there that I know in the area. That is absolutely incredible for us, uh, and I think that's what tomorrow represents. And um, the, there's obviously an excitement that comes with that. And the pull of a possible trip to a Premier League side is a massive carrot, isn't it? I know you're not going to be uh, be counting the chickens before they've hatched, but it's um, it would be just reward, wouldn't it, for for some of these lads if oh, yeah. for, for what they've they've kind of achieved so far? Because you can't really underestimate. I mean, I know you talk about finances, but it does actually make a difference. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of how, how you're able to, to train the players, where the players train, the amount of you know everything that goes with it, the nutritional side of it, the everything that comes with it, the modern approach to how football is trained, um, we're doing it on a shoestring really, aren't we? I mean, why? How how do you make that gap? I mean, I know it's about all Dave Brailsford, isn't it? The marginal gains and everything, but it's marginal gains when you've got all of, everything at your disposal. But you're, you're trying to make up a massive amount of ground. Yeah. Like Barnsley, for example, I mean that, that that academy budget there would have absolutely dwarfed what Chester's is. How do you make up that ground? What's the what's the respite? 
I think it gets understated, if I'm honest, accidentally, because from people not understanding, when I talk about how small our budget is and what we spend, there is no money, there is nothing to spend. Even to go as far back as, so you take what Wrexham are able to offer, and Wrexham, there isn't really a disparity in terms of, we have better players than Wrexham, we were a better football team, we were actually very poor on the night, and we're still more than worthy winners. So Wrexham is a massive upset because of what it was and maybe the way they tried to create it as a, as a game. I saw that it was all listed as a derby. I think there was some red tape in the, the away dressing room. It, it wasn't there at, at full time. I can remember that much. Um, that doesn't really, you know, too much of a comparison. We went to Hartlepool. The money Hartlepool received from the Football League, I've never seen that much money. I've never seen that much money written down. The way we have to spread our budget is incredible over a full nines to under 18s programme. What we demand of our players is incredible. Our volunteer coaches from nine to under 18s is unbelievable. We'll have staff taking days off work tomorrow to be able to take part in the fixture. We have staff going here, there and everywhere, Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings, paying their own fuel. That's not volunteering. There's far more to it than that. That is arguably being a bit of a lunatic but actually wanting to contribute something, you go back to talking about directors and skill sets to the football club because they can. I think it does get understated what that, that finance does. Barnsley had two physios, an analyst running around with uh, an Apple Mac, uh, four coaching staff. I'm the only one here full-time in the day. I'm, I'm here and have to, to oversee the entire 9s to 18s programme. You've got 25 full-time players now, the two scholars cohorts. That's making sure all their education side's done properly, making sure training sessions. People think you just turn up and train, throw some balls. We've been out on the pitch this morning for two hours working. We know everything about Mansfield. We know more about Mansfield than we did about Barnsley. So if you want to do it properly, it's just about the time and willingness to do it. But you ask the question about how you bridge that gap from a, a four-figure budget to a million and a half pound budget, potentially in some of the rounds that we've, we've previously played. Just belief belief in what can you actually be the best at can we become the best at recruitment can you make your players love coming in in the morning can you get your players bounded across the car park at 9am ready to come in and can you make them fall in love with the place and I think we do those three things quite well I'd hope that if you'd speak to the players that have moved on in the first team and beyond you probably see that the boys that are still here coming to watch the youth cup games there is a genuine affection for, for what they've done but it's not easy and I tell you what it's getting harder I've never had to invest so much time into preparation for games, all the administrative side of it, since we obviously got an acting secretary. Somebody has to do that. You then have to make sure that your coaching's all right because players at this level, you, you get found out. But the the recipe for success, I mean, we were talking, I was at an awards due um, a week ago or so, I was talking to the Accrington Stanley backroom, unbelievable people, talking about the way they go about it. For us, it's just belief and desire all the time how much do you want to be the next Sam Hughes the next Tom Crawford the next one to go and land in the first team the next one to be on the bench and if you can create that environment then you're halfway there but I think it will only truly sink in what has already been achieved in this competition when you look back and tomorrow night might be um, the icing on the cake how do you call tomorrow I mean what, what do you know about what you're going to be going into face um, for those listening out where, where do kind of Mansfield sit in the, in the Youth Alliance football pyramid as it were I think it'll be the best team we've played. I look at the our performances. I think we've got better as the competition has gone on. Mansfield have won the Football League Alliance for the last two years. 
don't underestimate what that states. That states that that isn't one good year group. That's consistently the way mm. you do it. I really rate John Dempster, the academy manager. We we went there last year to play one of their development sides. They made us really welcome. Um, we spoke to obviously them. Richard Cooper, Mike Whitlow, Jamie Maguire was there. Really good people and are quite clear on how they want to do it. You look at the facility they've just opened. They are probably more equipped as an under-18s group than Barnsley were, than Hartlepool were. Uh, but we'll do our work and it, it depends if you believe what you read in some sort of opposition circles our work is kicking the ball from one end of the pitch to the other as far as you can and chasing after <laughs> have I, you read that <laughs> I, I, I you know it was a, a, a team of long punters with no coaching I enjoy that I've got that sort of tattooed onto the whiteboard now in the dressing room um, the John be... Beck of the UCLA <laughs> oh it's horrendous <laughs> I, I, I'm honest I joke about it borderline offended when you look at some of the players we brought through but um, if that's how people perceive football, then they're, they're probably talking about something that they, they don't quite yeah. understand. Uh, for us, there will be a clear bulk of work on Mansfield. But we're quite good as well. We're actually quite a good football team. So it will be about highlighting Mansfield's weaknesses, but playing to our strengths. That is to be really organised off the ball. We pride ourselves on how organised we are, but we carry a threat. We have players. Obviously, Lloyd Marshews will be a massive miss for us tomorrow. Mm. Absolute massive miss for us tomorrow. But you have Kane Noble who score goals from midfield. We're a threat from set plays. You can bring in, you saw Will Goodwin making his under-18s debut against Barnsley to go and get on the score sheet. How do we call it? The toughest test yet. The way they play is similar to us in terms of more like senior football than mm. the the childish way of playing that I think you've seen with, with some other games. So for us, we'll be really clear about how we go about our business. We talk about attitude, desire and belief. If we have all those three things, it does take some team to stop us. But don't be fooled. I was asked by one of your colleagues about complacency because we'd beat Barnsley. No chance. Absolutely no chance. On paper, Mansfield should beat us by three goals to nil. The way Barnsley should have beaten us by five goals, Hartlepool by three, Wrexham by seven. You look at Bolton in the past Fleetwood, we've never, ever been favourites for a game. And maybe we play that underdog tag really well. I mean, one of my mates compares me to Tony Bellew. He says, I'm, I'm worse than him for throwing out. No one gave us a chance. But we don't. There's a total disparity. You know, we'll, but we'll, um, we'll go about our business. I've never been as confident in putting a team out for a game of football, uh, particularly after this morning's work and being yeah. so clear about how we win the game. But it comes down to on the night, our lot are really experienced that sounds strange to say as a group of under 18s for them to have been exposed to what they've been exposed to in the last 18 months they are men and I think Bernard and Jono touched upon that last week at the CFU meeting when they referenced what are these young lads like resilient they've been in and around the, the first team as well haven't they a lot of them in terms of training and that helps as well because it's it's a <coughs> difficult game to learn at any level but almost it becomes more difficult at kind of National League National League North level because that academy way of playing, you see academy players, some some fantastic academy players can't make, sometimes don't make great footballers um, in the lower echelons because it's the ability to, you, you have to have a certain mindset and mentality to work at it as well because you're going to come against some, like, it, it, it gets ugly, doesn't it? Um, but also it's, it's having that many facets to your game but we've got lads in that squad that you've got now who've been in and around it, experienced it and surely they'll be better for that. You should expose your under-18s to as much senior football and a senior style as possible. And I think that's where we changed around three years ago. Um, it was a really positive conversation with the first team manager and assistant manager at the time about when you say replicate what goes on, that doesn't mean every set piece, that doesn't mean every way of playing. I'm quite clear on how I want teams to play. 
but there's no point producing under 18s that aren't suitable for the level of football at which your first team plays because there's no value on those. Players will develop according to the environment they're in. So you look at when I talk to Sam, and you know, we'll see Sam use tomorrow, he's got, I can't wait to see him. He will talk about how he's developed differently being at Leicester. He's exposed to a different style of football, a different environment than perhaps what he was exposed to at youth level here and then in the first team. You see that with Tom now doing what I would call real full-time. They do a double sessions, not just coming in every day. We're quite clear that we believe that produces players for our first team. That is all you exist to do. Everything that goes on the Youth Cup is a bonus. Hugely important, but a bonus. You would replace anything that goes on for putting a player in the first team and selling on. That's what you exist to do. So why would you encourage your youth team to do something that is the polar opposite to what your first team do? And I think that is where you look and go, that's what we've done quite well. But that's from a recruitment model as well. To produce a National League North slash National League player that has the potential to play higher, that's the important bit. You're not producing players to peak in non-league. They either have to be A, an outstanding athlete that meet all the demands physically of their environment and the position, and you develop them technically to have the skill set to grow. Or an outstanding technician, uh, unbelievable on the ball or in the, the key areas technically in their position that you believe you can develop physically or athletically to move on again. And I think you've seen, to be honest... Two, the kind of Sam Hughes, Tom uh, Crawford, absolutely. you've just described there. Sam Hughes came to us at sort of 14, at 6 foot 1, yeah. um, put his arm around me, told me how it's going to be. No, <laughs> he was physically an athlete yeah. that developed technically. A lot of Sam's stuff was of his desire to go and do it. Tom came at six stone wet through um, as an under 16 out of cat one. Um, we sort of taught him to tackle. He was always going to be a tall boy. He's now six foot two. They, they are the, the opposite side of the spectrum. People choose to reject the athletic side of it because of Lionel Messi. And people choose to reflect the technical side of it because of, I don't want to name names, but more physical yeah, back to goals and forwards. The balance is what are you going to be? Make a player believe in what they're going to be and then make sure they reach the potential. And that is something that we do really well here without spending, well, we spend chocolate bars and various items of confectionery. <laughs> well, I can't wait for tomorrow. I'll be there um, looking forward to it. And hopefully it'll be another uh, magical night which we can tick off and then we can move on to another one. We can have this conversation again in what, two weeks' time. <laughs> Waxing lyrical about the youth team. Um, before we finish, just wanted to touch on uh, one point with you, Andy, in terms of mentioned Stuart Murphy before where are we up to uh, in terms of maybe seeing new plans with regards to that um, the timescales we've been looking at uh, throughout this has always been December um, so really not anticipating any significant developments before then okay. um, and as and when we're at that point you know as a board we only represent our members the CFU um, so at that point we'll need to link in uh, with the CFU and share those and if there's conversations that need to be had uh, we'll have those then and we'll share them at that point Stuff. Okay, well, thanks, Callum. Thanks, Andy, for joining me today. And thank you for joining me as well. Um, we'll be back, hopefully, uh, next week. We're going to kick these off again in a big way. Um, probably neglected my duties in the past couple <laughs> of weeks. Um, but, yeah, thanks very much for joining us. And hopefully we'll be, uh, we'll be having a chat to Callum again in a couple of weeks about another positive result. Thank you very much. <laughs>